1982, director Larry Cohen had a prepaid hotel room after he was taken off another film, and he thought to himself, hey, might as well make my own movie next week. And thus, a kaiju film sprung into existence. This is Kaiju vs. History. Q, The Winged Serpent. Kaiju versus history. This is an unfortunate window washer whose head mysteriously falls off, Miles, and joining me is the hardest working mime on the NYPD's payroll, my co-host, Patrick. Patrick, how you doing, bud? Just just call me Marcel Mothra. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm I'm the mime with the most. How's it going? That... You know, I'm I'm pretty excited because we're doing an American film that doesn't involve an ape for the first time in what feels like forever. Yeah, I mean, pretty much a new monster. I mean, I know it is like technically based on uh, a mythological beast, at least in name. <laughs> yeah, it, <laughs> but, in name and in but design wise, of this story, new. but but certainly not in look. Yeah, we're doing. Larry Cohen's Q, the Winged Serpent, often sometimes just known as Q. I think that's what it was first released as, but at, like I believe, I believe it was because if like, you look at the, the poster, the just original posters were like kind of trying to drum up like what's Q, and then I think probably someone's like, yeah, you need to tell them what Q is because this is this is not helping. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, there's, and there, there's, there's some really great, really great posters for this film. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yep. Uh, so this is a 1982 American monster film, as we said, written, co-produced, and directed by Larry Cohen, who is a name that I am very familiar with as a horror fan. And uh, yeah, as you said up at the top of the show, this was this was done on the quick. Uh, Larry Cohen was supposed to be part of a different film altogether. Well, got he, himself fired. he wrote. He wrote I, the jury, the script yes. for the movie and was set to direct until the last minute they got cold feet because I, I don't think he was like super well known as a director at this point. I think he had done I mean, more low budget. Production. Yeah, I would say yes and no. I mean, he he's had a lot of uh, had a lot of success in the horror genre. A lot of his 70s horror work is considered cult classics like God told me to and it's alive. Yes. Um, it's alive is something else <laughs> yeah is, is that the demon baby one yeah it's about the, the the monster baby uh which is a trilogy of films culminating in it's alive three island of the alive um <laughs> but i also has uh, done a lot of a lot of screenwriting work so yes. like phone booth and uh cellular from the early 2000s and then he for me i think his i would say so and call biggest movie in terms of I think the impact on the genre is the stuff from 1985 that is a very carpenter social commentary kind mm -hmm. of horror film absolutely um, disgusting film yes oh yeah but it's so good it's a really really good movie yeah I don't think I really knew him as a as a director like in general because I I didn't watch some of those 70s and, and 80s horror movies when, you know, I was a kid. Right. <laughs> the stuff would have really, really messed me up. But I absolutely 100% loved Phone Booth. 
with I love Phone Booth. I think it's a fact. great movie. <laughs> Colin Farrell. It is one of my favorite suspense movies. It's such a silly <laughs> concept, but it, it's it's like speed in a phone booth. And I'm sure that's how he sold it. <laughs> it's, it's I, I'm sure it is too. But it also helps that Colin Farrell is an amazing actor. Oh, goodness um, gracious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm is it John Cusack that's the the antagonist in that movie? He is in the or no, no, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. Kiefer Sutherland. I was about to say, yeah. Uh, and I know there is like it, it's it is. I guess you can like kind of hear his voice, but you don't see Kiefer until like the end of the movie. I'm pretty yeah, sure. Yeah, it's it's so right, we, for we, the warning for a a 21 year old movie. But the, the yeah, I I'm a big fan of Larry Cohen. He unfortunately passed pretty recently of uh, 2019 but he wh- what i like about the era that we are going to get into is we are starting to to come across movies that I, I i think once you get into the 80s there's more documentation you have more you have more like, oh yeah first-hand interviews and boy howdy do we have one because yeah. a couple years ago there was a documentary i actually i think right before he passed called king cohen Mm-hmm. And which I mean it, that that's a King Kong <laughs> reference right there, right? Right. I mean, I, <laughs> but I mean, he's you know long, long been heralded as a as a you know big time producer, writer, director, mm-hmm. and so we get this nice kind of just general overlook on his career, and there is a good ten minutes dedicated, a, a, a crazy ten minutes dedicated to cue the winged serpent. <laughs> So good. Uh, but before we get to all of that, Patrick, I need you to tell us what's in a title for Q or Q the Winged Serpent, which is what we went with, just because I think it it'll be easier for people to find. Yeah, uh, and I think that is that is what it is under for an IMDb. <laughs> the currently. tie name is the best. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll start with that. The ta- uh, you're talking about Taiwan, where it's, no, uh, no, no, Thailand. Oh, Thailand. Yeah, Ta- Taiwan's name was Q is here <laughs> or here's Q. <laughs> awesome. And it went under Quetzalcoatl, which spoiler warning, the Q stands for in the film. It was just known as the, the winged monster in 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 Greece or American monster in West Germany. France, it was called Terror Over New York, so placing it firmly in New York City, which is as much a character as any of the actual characters in the film. And Japan, this came out as Sky Monster Q. Uh, the one of the, the Netherlands video titles was Bird Over New York. Very wrong, but yeah, the Thailand DVD box title, which I'm I'm sure is is very out of print. A, a need collector's to find it item. Now. I need to find it. Collector's item was called Giant Damned Bird. <laughs> that is <laughs> the best name. A classic. I need to find the the box art for it. Yeah. But. Q, indeed. I'm I'm surprised it got this wide of a release for how poorly the film did. <laughs> I mean, I'm not I'm not super I'm not super shocked. I mean, Cohen was a very connected person. He had some success, so he was probably able to, to secure a wide release. And it wasn't, if I recall, like done by like one of the big ones. I mean, I think United picked it up, but I think it had some help. And I mean, this is also a cheap movie. I mean, this this is this is I think I ended up having a budget of one point one million dollars, but a lot of that wasn't necessarily used on the movie itself. Mm. And a lot of it might have been used on paying for permits that they 100 percent didn't have when they shot this movie. (laughs) Uh, Uh, Let's talk about the the Gonzo style 
way in which this film was made because, you know, like we said, he was fired from the directing job mm-hmm. of I the, uh, jury. I, the jury. Yep. Yeah. And, it was, and, it was like as they were going to start production in New York, almost at the right. same time. So he had already purchased a hotel room, prepaid a yeah, hotel for, room for, for the like time. A, right. And so he, he knocked out a script. I think he, I think. He was ready to shoot within six days. Yeah, basically. Pre- pre-production lasted less than a week as, you know, he worked out of this hotel room, got, I, I imagine, actors that were already readily available in and around New York at the time. Well, uh, yeah, I think I think that he cast it like from what the documentary states, it, he just happened to be eating lunch and saw an actor that he was familiar with and where they were chit-chatting and he goes, Hey, by the way, you, you free to be in a movie. Hey, what, what do you do? What's your next week looking like? Michael Moriarty. <laughs> right. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. Emmy and golden globe award winning Michael Moriarty is in this movie. And I, I don't know. It's so funny because watching him, in the interview in the documentary, he seems to know exactly what movie this is. But at the same time, like if I didn't know that, I would have been like, okay, this guy signed up for some intense like crime drama and he's delivering that performance. Like <laughs> I feel like like this movie's so weird because there is this this monster that's kind of like spliced throughout a yeah, the, the presence of the monster is they're the entire film, which is one of the reasons this is a hundred percent a kaiju film. Uh, yes, I mean, the, it opens up with with a decapitation. A, a staple. We got the decapitation, we have the nude sunbather because, yes, yep. of course, we do. It's a Larry Cohen movie. Yeah, I was watching that um, at work and that uh, surprised me. I was like, oh my gosh, I, we're, we're in a world in the 80s where we can see nudity in these films. So I was like, oh gosh, let me pause this real quick. I'll watch it later. Yeah, so you get this really weird war crime movie that i mean it feels like if you take out the monsters part could be like not too far from like a scorsese's mean streets or something like you've got this this down his luck jimmy quinn as your unlikable main character because anytime that jimmy could prove that he's some sort of redeemable character after kind of being charismatic because of michael moriarty's performance he lets you down (laughs) <laughs> Consistently, yeah, this entire movie like he's not a good guy yeah yeah and you think that he was gonna really get his comeuppance in the end like have kind of like a fatal turn but like the fatal turn is like his girlfriend gives back the money i was like i don't think she can do that <laughs> right <laughs> like and what's his name detective shepherd is like oh they're gonna sue you because the bird wasn't there where you said it was it's like well the nest was there i mean you shot at it it's like I don't again know this they... is written in six days <laughs> yeah the 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 and, and the motivations say, the plot detective <laughs> shepherd played by david carradine yeah david carradine and richard roundtree round out our three other main male cast members Can- he, candy clark is his uh, jimmy quinn's girlfriend joan so really star-studded cast that are for the most part not put to very good use i i feel like david carradine gets some stuff to do but richard roundtree has nothing to do he is playing a stock yeah. character and not even like an interesting stock character he is oh, they, just playing like insert cop here it, it feels like they i mean once again written in a week feels like they should have played david against richard because they seemed very 
differently written, but they don't come to loggerheads very often in the Mm-mm. the course of the investigation. They just kind of in fact, they, they only really investigate like together once or twice. It seems like they're mostly alone. I, I, I love David Carradine, Detective Shepard, because the entire like no matter what's happening, he just seems to be kind of like floating I, through. I don't like, understand how drunk and or high David Carradine was this entire production. I don't oh, understand. No, no, I know. Lines. Because like what, I feel what, like what I'm is, watching like the a Lebowski type character because like he is just like, oh, yeah. even when he's attacked by the monster at one point. He just kind of laughs it off. It's like, oh, that just happened. I forgot there's a giant bird out there. Um, what does he mean, Miles, at the beginning of the movie when he's like, gotta take my birth control pills? What what is he taking? Pill wise? No, I have no clue what that means. It's it is very funny because it there are so many non sequitur one liners that feel like they are ad libbed. Jimmy Quinn's shove it up your your brain, your stupid brain line. <laughs> well, so the so opening good. kill where the guy's decapitated. Oh, no, no, not the guy's de- decapitated. It's the guy that has his because there's a serial killer on the loose and he's flaying mm. people alive. And yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> so when they're they're looking at this case at the beginning of the movie and the camera's like focused on the guy's like teenage son who is just like staring in horror. and then. After like 30 seconds of that, the cop goes, better step outside, son. You don't want to see this. <laughs> he's already seen it. <laughs> he's he's really taking it in already. And then the cop, like nonchalantly, just throws a pillow on top of the guy's face. <laughs> That'll do. That'll cover up. Like, the, no the sheets. Just, no, here's a pillow. And that, that kind of thing comes up more than once. Like, they throw pillows on a lot of things. And I... I don't understand if they know what pillows are for. <laughs> oh, goodness gracious. David Carradine's role as as Detective Shepard, it was almost went to a very young Bruce Willis, who at this point still hadn't had his kind of breakout hit in Moonlighting. So, yeah, uh, we didn't want to use him because of that. was passed over. Yeah. Um, Which, for, I mean, I, given the time, I, that call makes perfect sense. Like, it's the mm-hmm. kind of thing we're like, ha, 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 now. But, yeah, who, who I mean, would David cast... Carradine was still a pretty decent-sized star, and Bruce Willis was just starting out. Yeah, but who who would cast Bruce Willis as a, a grizzled New York City detective? That well, it's actually crazy. probably better that this wasn't his first go as a oh. grizzled New York City detective, because oh, if yeah. he had done this, people would have been like, Oh, the guy from Q? I'm not going to see Die Hard. <laughs> I was about to say, Bruce Willis on the, the rise, and I think, unfortunately, David Carradine uh, <laughs> taking what work he can get here. Um, I mean, I think this was still in an, uh, an okay part of his career. Uh, I mean, it's certainly on the downtrend, but I mean, again, Larry Cohen also, he was friends with folks. I mean, he got mm-hmm. people to work for him, and it's not... Uh, this is something I do want to talk about, because this movie is kind of an oddity to me, because it, it, while it is a kaiju film, it's while we're covering it, I think it also exists outside of kaiju cinema because um, Americans seem to really love this movie. Yeah. And I'm very confused by the amount of love. It, I, I, I understand that some of it's nostalgia, but I mean, among the fans and, and, and our guests in this documentary are John Landis and Martin Scorsese. Like, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it's not like 
these are like clips of these guys from other interviews. I think they specifically went there for the Larry Cohen documentary. And at the time, John Landis was filming in New York City as well and has a very funny story in the documentary of <laughs> it's so great oh, here, Larry's the cops, in town. that makes sense yeah, the cops got pulled off of his outdoor shoot because there's some kind of like crazy thing happening <laughs> downtown and they came back half hour later and said some some wacko was firing machine guns on top of Chrysler, Chrysler building, building. <laughs> it's like oh and then uh, read in the paper the next day indeed it was yeah you know how we said this was filmed in a gonzo style they did not tell anyone anything so even though they were using blanks and, and empty casings the, the the blanks and empty casings from these machine guns were <laughs> falling from the Chrysler building and the sounds were being made so onlookers we're freaking are those, out. Are those people in baskets on the top of the Chrysler building shooting? <laughs> so <laughs> shooting those guys. Uh, no, no. So those guys were actually like, I guess they're the actual like <laughs> the cleaners, like, the work, the maintenance yeah. people for the well, Chrysler building. And Larry same, Cohen paid them. It's the same thing as the, the window washer in the beginning of the film. That was the actual window washer. Yeah. On the Chrysler building. It b- boggles my mind that. The vast majority of on location shots in this film were actually in the Chrysler building. Yeah. That, and, that is and, something and might I add without permission. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, they, they got permission to, to shoot there after they paid them, but yeah, after the fact. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And oh, boy, howdy. This, this production, <laughs> it was, was so crazy. It does. F- come across i think in the final work that it is very improv at points very yes. rushed in other points i mean it, it's it's like, 100% a rush job it's 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 just interesting like the fanfare this movie has specifically in this country and i think part of it was outside of kong you weren't seeing a lot of widely released monster movies in your cinemas like you might catch something at a drive in but you're not seeing an American-made production on this scale, even as small as this one is. Yeah. But, I mean, I remember growing up and seeing this movie in the store all the time. It was at any place I rented in the in the science fiction or horror section. So this yeah. movie was there. It was always playing on, you know, Turner Classic Movies or TBS or Sci-Fi Channel. This movie seemed to have a rotation. And so I feel like a lot of people are kind of nostalgic for this movie as a something they might have grown up with. Because the way that some people talk about this movie is is the way that like someone would would, would talk about like a good movie and <laughs> and I mean and, and now that this doesn't have merit as a as a fun watch and we'll we'll talk about that but it is interesting that like I mean this is a movie that even at the time was pretty well received I mean got two and a half stars from Robert Roger Ebert which for the movie that it is is a rave review. Yeah, I mean, that's like up there with his, I mean, as as high a score as just about any kaiju film has, has gotten from from Roger Ebert. Except for maybe, I, I like didn't, the, maybe the original Godzilla. I didn't check the the um, Leonard Moulton review, but I, I, haven't, I haven't checked his. But I imagine it'd be something similar. But genre curmudgeon Gene Siskel gave it three out of four stars. It, it, it's just wild. <laughs> like, <laughs> that, that this movie crazy. is so loved. And I think part of it is that people do love Larry Cohen and especially filmmakers like, yeah, John Landis and Scorsese are probably going to like this movie because they know Cohen, they know his style and they're they're in for that ride. And it, it's just it's it's it was just wild to see 
Martin Scorsese talk about this film as if he was talking about any other film, like film film with a capital F. But I will say, because he does, he does compliment uh, Moriarty's performance. I, I do think that Michael Moriarty gives a fantastic performance that may not fit the picture that he's in, but for the role that he was playing, the dude went all out. He showed up for work. And I mean, he did a really great job. <laughs> yeah. There's some great bits in the Cohen documentary, how he, he was such a professional. Larry Cohen could be shouting at him from, you know, the wings, like telling him oh, lines, lines to yeah. say. So the, the line where he kills the two gangsters by taking them to, to the Chrysler building, which is so funny to me. <laughs> I don't know why, but the line where he's like, eat them up, eat them up. Supposedly Larry Cohen was off to the side saying crunch, crunch. And then <laughs> Michael Moriarty said crunch, crunch. Yeah. And I mean, I also got to say all of the like the crazy like, this this film does have a, a style about it visually. Like there's some really great shots of the city and from different angles. And you can tell like, oh, they were in a helicopter here or they just they just threw this on a, a track and ran with it. But there's a lot of great things where the city does feel a little bit like a character, which we don't get in a lot of these films at this point. And I do have to give Cohen credit for that because this certainly feels like a New York City movie. Um, oh, yeah. And I think yeah. a lot of the commentary, I can't remember if it was in the documentary or just something I was reading, but it was like if if Larry Cohen had tried to make this movie in 2002, he would have been arrested and in jail <laughs> to this day. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. No, there's some 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 safety issues. Um but yeah, but budget issues as well, I'm sure as they were were shooting. Let's let's talk a little bit about the reason for the season. Let's talk a little bit about Q itself. Oh, right. I I have a, a whole bunch of notes here on Q cuz the the special effects for this film were done using stop motion animation, so we have another last gasp for stop motion animation but i think stop motion animation that looks very good yeah it's, and, it's not bad it's not and works for the film aged, but it's it's not awful uh, yes yeah i mean it definitely looks like stop motion animation but i think the monster looks good they they do the the jaws kind of like hiding of it for the first half of the movie maybe the first 30 minutes or so you get like little glimpses of it it's shadow it's like a claw here or there but yeah, the, the special effects and stop motion were done by Randall William Cook and David Allen. And these are both stop motion and special effects heavyweights from the David 70s, Allen 80s, is a 90s. very familiar name to me. <laughs> yeah, he was fresh off of the howling when he took on the role for this this movie. But yeah, would best be known later as he was the main special effects guy for the Puppet Master series, as well as a bunch of others. Uh, we're actually going to see his work again in the 90s for The Legend of Galgamath, another kaiju film. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I, I, I do like the 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 one conversation piece. I can't remember what I was actually trying to find about Cohen directing this when the, I think it was Alan was telling them, oh, you have to have a still shot. You can't do it that way because yes. he was moving the camera all the way. And and Larry Cohen was basically, well, that's how I do it. And yeah, this is what I'm paying you for. Just take the shots that I didn't prep with you and put the monster on top of them. Yeah. And, and I will to say to Larry Cohen's credit, it, it really works. There's so many helicopter shots of the monster that they managed to blue screen in or, or what have you 
very well. I, I was I was surprised. <laughs> it could have been from the cops that were called about the machine guns at the Chrysler building. <laughs> <laughs> what? The helicopters. Oh, yeah. They 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 were like, hey, you're, if you're going up in the helicopter, why don't we take this camera crew with you? <laughs> um, um, I I do think I, I think you're right, though. I the dynamic way that he shot these scenes, while it does cause the monster to not always look great, it does look like something's actually happening. I don't feel like I'm watching just mm-hmm. a still model set. And, and that doesn't well, make a difference. It does there, feel there kinetic couple, on screen. There are a couple of stop motion bits where the monster is just like rearing up and showing its head and those are not as good as when it shows them flying or like jumping on to like the side of a building there i mean i think larry cohen was right i think kind of that the bit a bit of a shaky style makes it hard to pin down that this is a stop motion creature um yeah i i i would i would agree i i will say though i do think while I think the stop motion work is good, I think the design for Q is a little lackluster. Well, you know, it is supposed to be like Quetzalcoatl, the at like Aztec Which is an, firebird god. Yeah, so. it's a firebird that's supposed to have like a lot of color, and this is a slimy looking. I think some dragon. of the poster art, you know, maybe they didn't see the film beforehand, does depict. Quetzalcoatl with some feathers, <laughs> but yeah, it is kind of like a gray, almost dragonish looking creature. Yeah, um, like Quetzalcoatl very... is supposed to be like really colorful, and this is it is a scaly lizard creature. Yeah, it. Yeah. I just I feel like the the design itself is a little basic. It's not that it's an the mm-hmm. worst thing ever, but it's it, it's a it, little basic. It seems like they also had a week to come up with. I it. mean, the, the, again, yes, this was made in six days. <laughs> to sculpt uh, it. Well, they had more time for the. the I mean, yes, effects. I understand that, but like, this was a very rushed production. Yeah, and uh, that face is th- that face is ugly. I did want to talk before we move on from special effects about Randall William Cook, the other half of the special effects team, mm-hmm. who. Uh, he worked on the Devil Dogs in, or would work on the Devil Dogs in 1984's Ghostbusters, but uh, won yes. Oscars for the Lord of the Rings trilogy. He was doing special effects for for Peter Jackson, and then went on and continued. He was a second unit director for King Kong, 2005's King Kong. So we're going to see his work in the future as well. But he also acted in that movie because he was one of. I think four actors playing the pilots that shot Kong down, spoiler warnings, at the end of the 2005 <laughs> For like King the Kong. third remake of King Kong. Yeah, and he shared that with another special effects legend, Rick Baker, who we've talked about already as well. Mm-hmm. And that is the same distinction that Marion C. Cooper gave to himself in the 1933 original, the pilot that shot down Kong. So R- Randall William Cook, maybe not a name that you know resonates very well in if you're not in that special effects kind of world but i thought that was very interesting he he was working yeah, on absolutely. on this film you know 20 years before that kong remake <laughs> uh we we talked about most of the cast already I guess we we haven't talked about Candy Clark a little as as Joan she doesn't get as many scenes but she can hold her own against she, Michael she, Moriarty she can. She was distracting me for a lot in the beginning of the movie because I kept thinking she looks at the waitress from from It's Always Sunny. That is oh, that's very astute. She does look very much like that. And but, I was like, and because she was putting a waitress, I was like, I was like, this is too on the nose. So I'm just waiting for this to take a weird, dark comedic turn the entire time. So I have a very different lens of watching her scenes. 
<laughs> we we talked a little bit about the poster, but we didn't mention it. Probably one of the selling factors for this film later on VHS and you know television and things like that was the the poster, which they spent a pretty penny on because they got sci-fi fantasy artist uh, Boris Vallejo, who is one of those classic matte painting, uh, super you know kind of airbrushy. Artists who did Conan and John Carter of Mars art. What else did he do? A lot of the classic kind of like paperback, uh, mm-hmm. pulp paperback style adventure. It's got that feel things for yeah. sure. Uh, <laughs> maybe one of the more recent posters he did was uh, they got him for the Aqua Teen Hunger Force colon movie film for theaters. <laughs> so you, you can see his work all over the place. That, the poster's great. I think the poster yeah. is, a, is a super selling point. I think if the monster looked a little more menacing like this one, it probably would have would have helped. The poster also, like many a kaiju film, oversells the action here because we've got like a a woman gripped in the the monster's claws, not something that I think we we see, but probably a plot point that you know maybe got cut for for money's sake. The the end of the film, there's a whole scene of Michael Moriarty's Quinn character coming up with an idea of dropping a giant tent on top of the Chrysler building and uh <laughs> Go, going like to Ringling Brothers to get the tent. Like there's a whole coffee scene where he's giving them this plan. And then when they get to the Chrysler building, they just have guns. And it's like, oh, yeah, we were going to do your plan, but we didn't have the money <laughs> or something like that. They didn't think they'd <laughs> yeah. give us the tent. B- basically insane. It's like, oh, yeah, that would have been cool. You can imagine that happening. But no, we're just going to shoot it with guns. <laughs> That's going to be the end of this film. Just shoot the monster with tons of tons of guns. We, we talked a little bit about some of the reactions this film had when it when it came out. Miles Heavy Metal Magazine called it one of the most underappreciated movies of the year. And maybe because it was a sci-fi horror film, it was underappreciated, especially for Michael Moriarty, who they said gave an Oscar worthy performance. It, I mean, th- there's a lot holding his performance back in this movie, <laughs> but. It is so funny, but, but it's, but it's seems, not his performance. That's the problem. Yeah, well, he just seems like he is indeed in another film. <laughs> no one told him there was going to be a giant monster, you know, yeah, towards the like, end. Marty, Marty Scorsese, like, he didn't say this in the top, but he, he kind of feels like he wants to say, he looks like he's trying to be in one of my movies. <laughs> yeah, well, he, he does a great job. Definitely. No, he, he absolutely does. I mean, I, I, that's the thing is, like, a lot of the failings of this movie don't have to do with the actors, which which is often not the case in a lot of these American monster movies. Typically, the actors are just as guilty as anyone else. But I, I will say the the one thing that does, I mean, yes, this is a kaiju film, but to me, this feels less akin in its DNA to Godzilla and the Showa era of kaiju films, and more inspired, or at least probably from the stuff that Cohen was watching. The American 50s film. And honestly, yeah, well, it shares a lot of DNA with one of my least favorite movies that we've watched 
the giant the, claw. The giant claw. <laughs> well, you, you know who produced Q the Winged Serpent was our our old friend Samuel Z. Zarkov. <laughs> Samuel Z. Arkov. Oh, I know it. So it, it's been a while. So it's been since the, the 1950s since we talked about the, the Arkov formula where he talked about the six things, the checklist the acronym of his name to to include in the movie to to sell it. Let's go through that. A stands for action. Miles, does it have action? It does. Uh, kind R, of. R, revolution, novel or controversial themes or ideas? Probably not. I don't know. There's I mean, a- there, there is the whole, like, kind of the serial killer story and this whole thing right. about. Nope. I, you're right. I, I'm going to give it to you. <laughs> You've well, got no, a whole there, subplot there. there. There is an entire different movie happening here with, with David Carradine going mm-hmm. on this wild chase against a serial killer. And like going into this whole religious aspect, and they actually talk about the idea of modern culture and its relationship with religion, which I thought it doesn't go into it, but mm-hmm. they bring it up enough to where I'm like, this would have been really interesting. Yeah, it and definitely feels like a, a plot point that they could have cut from the movie if they weren't trying to get to uh, but, what an hour and a half. But it also like makes the movie a little richer because of it, even though like I mean, this movie, this movie is a it's a suicide, oh, which goodness. is which is well a suicide. I don't know what you guys called it when where you were growing up, but what a suicide was when you were a kid was you would go up to the fountain and put in about an eighth of every single soda <laughs> on the fountain and drink it. That's 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 uh. <laughs> and we call them we call them suicides growing up, but <laughs> we didn't call them that. But what a, I mean, I know what you're talking about. I think everywhere has their own has a different thing. version of that. So this movie is doing that. I mean, you've got what, your that'd... basic monster plot. You've got this gangster plot. You've got this mm-hmm. wild serial killer plot. And then you uh, also have this this other story about like the relationship the media is having with the police and stuff. I mean, it's. It's got mm-hmm. a lot in this thing, and we, we, we got to keep going through the Arkoff formula. I, I'm going to give. I'm, I'm sorry, give, but I, I, I'm still stuck on R. <laughs> we're going to give you a revolution for some controversial themes. I think it, it's got that. Police violence is explored a little bit, which is kind of interesting. K stands for killing. Uh, yes, obviously, we'll get lots that. of killing. O for oratory, notable dialogue and speeches. It 100% has. Oh, oh some boy, howdy! Speeches. We're going to talk about one of those lines in a little bit. Uh, the first of two F's stands for fantasy. Acted out fantasies common to the audience. I think bank robbery and, you know, extorting the police for a million dollars. I think these are that that counts. Well, not only that, but like uh, David I mean, Carradine's out, out, out there living his best life. <laughs> yeah. Taking his uh, birth control pills. <laughs> and the the last F in our cough two F's Speaking of. is. Well, fornication is what it has listed on Wikipedia here, not yep. the other F word. Sex appeal for for young adults, and it does have some some nudity in the film. So there you go. I think this film definitely plays into the Arkoff formula and the Larry Cohen formula because I think uh, oh a, a lot of it's a hundred percent Larry Cohen formula. Well, not, not just yeah his directed films, but his his scripts kind of have that mix of. Like you said, 1950s and 1970s. I, I think the stuff that he he was, you know, obviously wrote this movie in a very, very short amount of time. But when he has more time and and some more passes, I think the stuff in terms of using like current events and sociopolitically like charged themes mm-hmm. to go along with its horror and mayhem 
I think it, that's it's perfected in that movie. Uh, th- this makes it feel like a, a rough draft. And again, like that that giant thaw connection. I'm like, oh, it, 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 it gives it a little bit of like a uh, feel to it, too. And there, there. This movie is like we're talking pretty positively about this movie. There's a lot that I can say that is not great about this movie. Let's talk about the uh, the weird, the weird racially charged speech towards the end that Michael <laughs> Moriarty gives. Yeah, he you're... talks about white girls don't want to have nothing to do with me after his his girlfriend breaks up with them and i'm like what are you talking about well he also just fall in love with his character until the end when he's he he talks about how he learned how to play piano and he's uh uses some very racist language about a i think a cellmate of his in in prison maybe or? yeah there, there there is some weird stuff that pops up that makes makes it super super uncomfortable i mean this um, feels like a 41 year old film at this point this feels like a uh, a legacy piece this feels like from, a 60 year old film to be honest <laughs> from, in that respect but i will say it is such a great little time capsule and, and one of the reasons i love kaiju movies in general because oftentimes you do get a a city really captured in the height of a frenzy uh, because there's a giant monster ravaging it, but right. this is a this is an awesome look. We get a lot of particularly Ch- Chinatown in in Manhattan depicted in this film, and yeah, it, it was it was very enjoyable for that <laughs> at the very least. And like you said, very guerrilla film style. I bet half I don't know like ninety percent of the people in this film did not consent, did not fill out oh. any forms. Uh, so, to be in this movie, they're just on the street while they were filming. Well, not only that, but as we were talking about how the machine guns were causing chaos, and <laughs> when the second unit told Larry Cohen, so, oh, people were freaking out down there, and there's like, yeah, I was like, grab a camera. <laughs> grab, grab a camera. Film yeah. them freaking out. We're making a monster movie. A scene where people are on the on the ground floor freaking out. Sounds great to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's... Not That's only did he get free marketing because the Daily Post wrote an article about people freaking out, even though that would supposedly. And, a little and then he posted overblown. a big apology to New York. <laughs> yeah. Not only that, but he was trying to capitalize by by getting some some footage. A wild story of of a film and a filmmaking. It's one of the reasons why I like doing this podcast is is finding all this out behind the scenes stuff. And for me, it does elevate the film watching experience the the legacy for this film besides larry cohen not really doing another kaiju film is he he did do some commentary besides the documentary king cohen before he passed but he's said before that he's heard that he helped influence bong jung hu into making the host as the idea of a a monster film with comedy in it was an aspect that didn't really cross Jun Ho's mind b- before until he saw this film. And if that is <laughs> wild to me, if that is just I mean, if there's like a percentage of that, that is true. That is m- makes this movie worth every penny that they spent on it, because that, that, that certainly makes its its. Yeah, it's it's stock in, in Kaiju cinema a lot higher. <laughs> Yeah, spoiler warning, I love the host. <laughs> oh, same. I'm I'm like most of Bong's movies. Yes. But yeah, I think that that's gonna 
do it. Think we got to get to the rating of this. Film. Yeah, let's. We can let's, talk let's about let's this for another this. hour. It, it, it may not be as high as as our our enthusiasm talking about it. <laughs> well, I is. I mean, as bad as this movie is, a schlock film. I still think it was pretty enjoying, just because it is such a wild ride. And knowing the history of it, I hope people listening to this do go back and watch it. I think it's free on Tubi and a whole bunch of other places. It's on Tubi. It's on Peacock. And it's on Shutter. It was, it was made on a shoestring budget, made on a whim, and they made something that was coherent, which is amazing. One of I think the... coherent's a little strong. <laughs> yeah, one of my it favorite. works. <laughs> I mean, it is a film. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's surprising that it actually came together. One of my favorite mar- uh, horror and, and monster movie YouTubers, Brandon Tennell, said. Uh, that these Cohen films are really a mix of the B movies of the 1950s and exploitation films of the 1970s. And somehow two wrongs kind of made a right in this film and made it watchable for me in, in a lot of places. So not a great film in any stretch of the imagination, but I'm giving this a six out of 10. I think this is a good film, surprisingly enough. I'm a little bit lower than you. I think this movie is a lot of fun. I think it is in in terms of film history a certainly an interesting movie to discuss. It's also a lot of fun with friends. However, on its own, like I think it's baseline enjoyable. I think you can get stuff out of it, but I think that the actual viewing experience here, especially your first time, it's a little rough because you're always kind of wondering what's going on there the disjointed script certainly comes alive that first time like the more you watch it it's certainly a little bit more enjoyable because you can kind of fill Mm -hmm. in the gaps and you know enjoy some of that like schlockiness to it it's a little confusing the first time you watch it yeah and and, and this is my second time watching it it's my second time too i I mean the thing is like i don't love the movie i think it's a fun movie i think it's fun to talk about and especially like like if this had and I think I probably might have a Rift Tracks or a Cinematic Titanic. It doesn't have an MST3K, I don't think. But it, if it did, I think that would be the perfect gold star for a movie like this because it's it's all over the place in a way that it makes it fun to talk about, especially if you have someone to bounce off of when you're watching it. As a solo viewing, it's it's passable. I can enjoy certain aspects upon reflection, but yeah, it's. It's a weird one because it's fun <laughs> to talk about, but sometimes not entirely fun to watch. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, I, a, it's a five for me. Uh, yeah, I had some difficulties in, in, in my watch through. It took, took me a couple sits to, to get through the entire film, and it's only 93 minutes. Uh, what about your technical here for for Key um, Winged Serpent? So technical is going to get the same score. I think it does a lot of interesting stuff. I mean, again, knowing its story, oh, it was written in six days. Mm-hmm. It had a very fast production. They didn't have any money. It's, the fact it's a the- 10 out of 10 if if any film uh, could exist on uh, a five-day pre-production. Right. <laughs> it it, yeah, it is certainly not, gets an A for effort. Yeah, we're not <laughs> judging it based on the time restraints. But the script is all over the place, and some of the special effects are really not good. There are some weird lines that make the actors look very silly and not in a very fun way. Again, um, very bad. <laughs> and yeah, I mean, I also think that in this again, I, I think 
the sum of all the parts are fine, but when you like look at each one, you're like, oh man, that was rough. And honestly, yes, I do think the the stop motion looks competent, but it's honestly not the best stop motion job. Yeah. It really, it really isn't. And and everyone involved goes on to do a lot more. Again, given with what they had to work with, mm-hmm. I see the argument for these people because it's like, yeah, they didn't have a ton of money and they were super, super rushed. I get that. But I'm still judging the finished project on on what it is for this purpose and not just like, oh, man, these guys made a miracle out of nothing because they they did. And I think that I think we we spent a lot of time kind of praising this movie for the stuff they got. They got on screen. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I'm, I'm sticking with a five. I, th- I think it's baseline fine. But there's a lot of a lot of problems. I'm right there with you for the technical score. I I mean, somehow. Everything in this movie feels like it's improv. Like, I don't know how they got stop motion to make it feel like it was improv. Like, they were just doing it live as they played it over the film. But, yeah, Larry Larry Cohen found a way by not consulting his special effects guys before he he made those shots. Uh, He literally winged it, Miles. I've got this written in my notes. Winged serpented, that is. Oh, boy. (laughs) Five out of ten, even though, sorry, Michael Moriarty, he thought he was... In a ten out of ten film, yeah, uh, uh, I mean, home, homeboy gave it his best shot. Well, that, it's, that, it's, no notes. I mean, it's just so funny because everything else is like so bad around him. It like really isolates his performance and sets it aside in not a good way. <laughs> so, like, I mean, he really could have phoned it in and still stood out. If that makes yeah. sense. So, yeah, five out of ten, and for its evocative score as a piece of kaiju art as a piece of the canon i'm not gonna be that harsh again on this one i'm giving it a six out of ten against all odds it's not a bad movie it's not great it's not really that good even but it's not bad and in a drought of original ideas and original kaiju films in the 1980s i do think in a very short time larry cohen made something both original both playing into the tropes of the 1950s. And I mean, he was able to put something on the screen, even though it didn't have like a super wide release and it didn't do well for its artistic reach. If not what it achieved, (laughs) I'm giving it a six out of 10. What about you, Miles? I'm actually the same. I'm I'm six out of 10 as well. I Mm -hmm. I do think that I think that this movie, it, it feels Kaiju adjacent just because it doesn't do anything that a lot of Kaiju movies do for the most part. It does seem to really play more with the 1950s science fiction tropes, as you said, but it does have some of those qualities, some of those kaiju qualities. And it does have, I mean, it's, it's given a name on the poster. No no one calls it Q. They keep calling it a Quetzalcoatl. So they're there, but it is a strange, a giant strange beast. I also like the fact that Larry Cohen said that he specifically wanted to use the Chrysler building because, you know, the Empire State building would be too, much of an on the nose thing, and he thinks the Empire State Building is ugly, and the Chrysler, bu- the Chrysler Building is not. I, I um, like the shots that they got of the Chrysler. You know, yeah, in, it, in it's it's, it's solid. It, it, um, it stands I, out in that in that way, and they actually show the monster kind of like flying around it. So, I also think this movie does have a little bit of a legacy. I mean, this movie may not have done well at the box office, but I think it's done very well at home and and on TV. I mean, this is a movie that like has weirdly kind of popped up every now and then 
and has a pretty solid B reputation and is well liked in in the States. Against all odds, this movie is pretty well thought of and it's sort of fried fresh on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> I, I'm I'm so confused by by its scores just about everywhere <laughs> online. Like, uh, the, yeah, and the, I mean, like the audience Raj, score is is less, right? Do what? What what's the audience score on Rotten Tomatoes? The audience score. Let me. I I have off the look. The the IMDb um, score is a six out of ten, which is pretty high. I think that's for, that's pretty for high. The audience film. score is a forty two. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's what I. Remember but that's also I mean the people voting on Rotten Tomatoes are all like I don't trust the audience score as much because it's sometimes it's just some people like you know whatever. <laughs> no um, one's going back to grief. <laughs> Cue the winged serpent. You never know. You never know. <laughs> I, well, I think that's pretty. I mean, forty two percent is pretty good because we're giving it a final score of a five out of 10, which is about where I would put it. Yeah. Yeah. Average in ours down. I had a 5.6. You had a 5.3. We round down here when it's that, that low. I think if either of us had a better time watching the, for our personal enjoyment or the, the technical score, we could have bumped this up to a six, but I feel like five is probably where it should be. Honestly, my, that my six personal enjoyment is a lot of the enjoyment is the history of this movie. Oh yeah. I mean, find the scene. So I honestly, I would, I would watch the, the 10 minutes that are spent in King Cohen prior to watching this movie, because then, then it's more of a ride because you're like, wow. I think you'll this, be there with me if the uh, six out of ten with knowing the full story. Uh that's that's gonna do it for for this week's episode, Miles. Uh <laughs> cue the winged serpent. Folks can reach out to us on Twitter at Kaiju versus History or go on to Kaiju versus History dot com to, to listen to past episodes or wherever you find podcasts. You can rate our show and comment. Let us know what you think about these episodes. But also check out our letterbox to see all of our previous reviews, our watch list, and our 8, 9, and 10 scores. Our liked films on there, we were just reviewing them the other day, are the, are the ones that we uh, give the the chef's kiss to. There's about 15 of those so far going up to the 1980s. So if you're looking for a place to jump into kaiju films, that is where I would suggest. Oh, what what are we doing next time, Miles? All right. So thank you, Patrick, and thank you, listeners. And we are going to catch you next time when we explore a Taiwan film that takes elements of Gamera, King Kong, and Godzilla, and then mixes them up with Old Yeller? <laughs> That's right. Tune in next week when we do History versus King of Snake. 